When we think philosophy, we consider truth, virtue, morality. The classics. Always so heady. Where are the lowbrow philosophers? The ones considering, you know, just love and happiness. Oh, actually, my favorite philosopher talks about that. Love? Aha. Uh-huh. Gross. No. Happiness. <laughs> Epicurus was focused on happiness. Well, I'm still looking for the love philosopher. Where's Lovecrates? Um, Arthur Schopenhauer? We mentioned him last episode. He talks about love. Ooh. Talked about how much love sucks. <laughs> okay. Let's go back to virtue and morality. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about Kung Fu Z, a.k.a. Master Kong, a.k.a. Confucius today. And uh, how he pondered questions of virtue. But he also talked about love in a way. What kind of way? Confucius believed that a nation's prosperity, its welfare, depended on the virtue of its people and their moral development. That, uh, I, what? Where's love in there? Oh, yeah, maybe I'll tie that in later. Ah, theme song time. Maybe I won't. Ah, don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. We'll any bitty Vici, a mustache, you'll need and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome to Wholesome and Heathen, a philosophy podcast, the show where we take dry old academic philosophy, which is indispensable, and dispense with the jargon and boringness, to make it even more valuable to you. And we try to make sense of it all through the lens of pop culture. I'm Wholesome. And I'm the patron saint of heathens. Welcome to the show. So today, you wanted to talk about Confucius. I thought you wanted to talk about Confucius. No, you. To know that we know what we know and that we do not know what we do not know, that is true knowledge. What was that? Ah, that will follow every Confucius quote we'll have today. No, I I figured that. I I mean, what does that quote mean? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) fair. Here, I'll try another one. The hardest thing of all is to find a black cat in a dark room, especially if there is no cat. Okay, so the ding signifies a Confucius quote, but also signifies that we'll be left utterly confused. Confused us, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that last one was even more bizarre. Is it a Schrodinger's box thing? Was Confucius that ahead of his time? I'll be honest, I have no idea what that last one is, but I found it, and I'm so glad I was able to work it in. All right, so we know Confucius is a famous name, and he's got a lot of sage, or perhaps mysterious, sayings, but... Tell us about the guy. All right. So Confucius was an ancient Chinese philosopher. And I mean quite ancient. He was born in 551 BCE during a time called the Spring and Autumn Period. Ooh, I like the sound of that. It preceded the Warring States Period. Much less pleasant sounding. (laughs) I'm sure everyone has heard of Confucius and knows that he's immensely important to Chinese culture. And... Just Eastern culture, East Asian culture in general, but perhaps you don't know what his actual teachings were, or why they're still relevant to such a large portion of the world 2,500 years later. That's what I want to talk about. Talk away, my friend. Confucius believed that a nation's prosperity 
dependent on its people living virtuous lives and behaving according to codes of morality. Only by perfect virtue can the perfect path in all its courses be made a fact. And what are these moral codes? What does a virtuous life look like? So I'll admit up front that I'm not the most familiar with Confucius, and I find a lot of his stuff to be wishy-washy, but I'm going to try my best. For one to wishy, one must first washy. For one's wishes come true when your duties are through. <laughs> There's no way that's a Confucius quote. Ah, he's got a lot. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Hit me with some Confucius basics. Okay, so a good starting point is his five constant virtues. These are Ren, Yi, Li, Zhi, and Xin, or benevolence, righteousness, ceremony slash custom slash rituals, wisdom, and integrity. Let's start with Ren. That's the most important and the most amorphous. I don't, I don't really know what it means. What happened to trying your best? That was so short-lived. It could mean benevolence, like I just said. Okay, well, that's great. Benevolence is abstract, but we generally know what it means. And then, of course, Confucius also defined it as love or love of others. Ooh, you came through. Confucius is about love. It could be humaneness. Okay, I, I see how it's hard to pin down, but these are all related ideas. And I think of it as empathy. Yeah, these are all related concepts. So you see, Ren is understood through interpersonal relationships. I asked a Chinese-speaking friend for help with pronunciation, actually, and I'm sure I still messed it up. But she, <laughs> as she was teaching me, she was telling me that the Chinese character for Ren looks like a stick with the hat kind of thing, and then sort of an equal sign. And that first part means person, and the second part means two, like the number two. So when you think about Ren, about benevolence and humanity, it all starts off with two people. Wow, knowing the roots of the word gives it a lot of meaning. But okay, give me an example of Ren. It's like an like an adult's protectiveness for children. That's Ren, but it's also more than just the relationship. In what way? Ren is like the all-encompassing trait of being virtuous. It's the starting point in a way, and also the main idea.、Mm, now you're starting to speak like Master Kong. <sighs> It's an occupational hazard. <laughs> Confucius said, "A man of Ren helps others become established if he desires to establish himself, and helps others reach their goals if he desires to reach his. Being able to make analogies between his own situations and those of others around him." Could be called the approach to Ren. I know it's more of a Buddha thing, but that makes me think of the、uh, analogy of using your candle to light others. It doesn't cost your candle anything, yeah, but gives the other candles new life. I'm definitely sort of getting it, at least.、Uh, but how do you work on becoming Renful? Confucius recommended the rules of Ren as: one should see nothing improper, hear nothing improper, say nothing improper. Do nothing improper. No,、oh, similar to the three wise monkeys: see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And guess where that comes from? Oh no way! Well, more like 
easily way, I guess. <laughs> that, that's a pretty obvious connection. But, but that quote <laughs> makes things circular. Be proper by not being improper. I mean, how do you even start down that path? Fair enough, fair enough. Confucius also said, Ren is not far off. He who seeks it has already found it. Okay, very Yoda-like, but I don't know if Confucius's teaching style is quite for me. It's similar to how people say that if you're, if you're questioning if you're insane, then you're not insane. But the opposite, if you're seeking Ren, then you've already found it. So if you're trying, if you're putting in effort to be good and virtuous, then you're on the right track. Yeah, exactly. Someone who is trying to be good is already on the path to being good, or actually probably already is inherently a good person. But to answer your question of how to start on the path of Ren, a massive part of Ren and of Confucianism in general is filial piety. Respect and devotion to your parents. Right, right, yeah. Yes, but even more than that, Confucius thinks this is the secret. This is the thing to a perfect and harmonious society. I agree with the idea of not taking for granted all the things your parents did for you and taking care of your parents the way they took care of you. That's being a good son or daughter, but how does that stretch all the way back to a harmonious society? Oh, is it like a take care of your own home and everyone taking care of their own issues will lead to a better society kind of thing? Everyone behaving with moral character leads to a moral society, yeah. And he reasoned that Someone can't be a caring person if they don't even care for their parents, and can't be thoughtful if they don't even think about their own parents. So, again, it's all about interpersonal relationships, but it starts with one's parents. All right. And where do we go from there? Oh, he, he lists a bunch of other relationships, too. There's a ruler and a subject, a father and a son, an older brother and a younger brother. Uh, he lived in a very patriarchal world. Don't we all? Okay, you're right about that. <laughs> That's why he specified a father and a son, and older brother to younger brother, and a husband and wife. But we can generalize to a parent and a child, older sibling to younger sibling, and skip the husband and wife. <laughs> okay, what about friends? Ah, brilliant, great question. Mm -hmm. That's the only one that's different and is equal. Hmm. In all the other relationships, he advocates a level of obedience to the more honorable person. Confucius says, Let the ruler be a ruler, the subject a subject, a father a father, and a son a son. Not because we are beneath others, or others are above us, but it's recognition that there are people whose experiences or accomplishments outweigh our own. I dig that. He's saying we should recognize what each other's specific ages and experiences bring to the table. Learn from one another, respect one another. That's cool. My first reaction was, that's not cool. Nah, typical heathen. <laughs> not because I don't respect authority. You don't respect authority. Hell yeah, punk rock, down with the man. Ugh, listeners, I want to translate into audio that heathen is simultaneously making the rock on gesture and the power to the people raised fist. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop. My issue with obedience is that they're just people too, and people can always be wrong, so blind obedience isn't good. What does Confucius have to say about that? I'm so happy that he, he actually leaves room for exceptions. 
But to understand, let's step back from filial piety for a moment. Remember how I said, or rather Confucius said, a nation's prosperity depended on its people's morality? Well, he thought that all started with the country's leader. And you can imagine, back in the day, kings and emperors and sovereigns everywhere ruled like, well, like kings, you know. <laughs> they, they, they did whatever they wanted. They were above the law. They weren't accountable to anyone. Right. They did as they pleased. Or they sent their thugs in to force the people to do what the king wanted. No bueno. Like a lot of people of the time, Confucius believed in something called the Mandate of Heaven. He believed that rulers were divinely chosen to lead. Even the sucky ones? That's where he differed from the sucky ones. Narcissistic <laughs> leaders lived lavish lives, but didn't care about their people and claimed their behavior was okay because they're divinely chosen to lead. I mean, if God picked them, who can argue? <laughs> but Confucius did argue. Ah, uh, yeah, fight the power. He didn't go quite as far as Nietzsche, but... Confucius said that if a ruler lacked Ren, it would be difficult for his subjects to behave virtuously, and an inhumane ruler can lose the mandate of heaven and the right to rule. And a ruler without the mandate of heaven doesn't need to be followed. That's a neat way to build in a mechanism for disobedience. And it incentivized rulers to lead ethically instead of through harsh punishments or military power or the thugs you mentioned. This reminds me of the time I played the card game Munchkins. Have you heard of that one? I, I remember that. I remember that one. That's right. Yeah, you were there, of course. Yeah, no, it's, it's a goofy card game with like a ton of rules. But to sum up how, let's say, duplicitous this game intends you to mm -hmm. be, I'll give you the tagline. In quotes, go down in the dungeon, kill everything you meet, backstab your friends and steal their stuff, ah. grab the treasure and run, admit it, you love it. That's the tagline. I love it, but I get the feeling, and I, I feel like I remember you not loving that. On the contrary, I broke the game through kindness. God, I hate that sentence, and it's <laughs> terrible. But I know, uh, I know exactly which story you're about to say. Yeah, oh, this is, this is a wholesome classic. So basically, I played that game as altruistically as possible. I picked the elf class, which is the only class that can help other people beat monsters. And usually you like take half the gold for yourself. But I would just always help other people beat monsters and then let them have all their gold. I never backstabbed anybody and just watched as backstabbing kind of happened all around me. From me. But <laughs> yes you and by the end of the game we reached a point where one of my friends and i could win together except another friend was absolutely furious at the idea of having two people win a game of munchkins because that's antithetical <laughs> to the idea of munchkins and you know especially winning through kindness so he ruined her chances and then i ended up just kind of winning by default so um i'm a little bummed that we couldn't win together but uh it was overall a very satisfying experience and i don't know it kind of felt like the mandate of heaven <laughs> I remember that. It's absolutely ridiculous. Only you could pull that off. But mm. it is a good example of if you're ruling humanely, the mandate of heaven perhaps says you are the right one to rule. Guided me there. Put me in place. <laughs> but all right, next we've got E, meaning righteousness or justice. Any fun etymological breakdown for this one? In the traditional Chinese character for E, the top part is sheep. And the bottom part means myself. I am sheep man, bringer of justice and righteousness. 
or more like wake up sheeple yeah probably probably or or possibly something like i don't know in an agricultural society me and my farm with my livestock righteousness is not stealing from people i'm guessing i don't know yeah that's not a bad hypothesis but with my absolute zero knowledge of chinese i'm gonna go with the sheepman theory of justice Mm, yeah you know that doesn't surprise me but (laughs) you remember the other game we used to play goat simulator that was a good one yeah yeah that was was a lot of fun that was really weird totally brings people together that game uh you you do know that goats are different than sheep though right you you know you don't do you uh okay embarrassing point for me but they are they're all woolly they're hooved i i moved schools a lot i think i missed that day of elementary school oh you know the backgrounds and philosophies of an absurd number of philosophers but you don't know the difference between sheep and goats and rams and rams and lambs (laughs) are those are those different are they the baby version of one i know mary had a little lamb all right for starters sheep have wool Goats just have gross, stringy fur and inspired most depictions of Satan. And goatees. Right, yes. Truly their greatest sin. Lambs are baby sheep and sheep are sheep. <laughs> okay. They they have wool. Uh, rams are boy sheeps. Wait, is there a boy lamb then? That's, uh, that's uh, hold, hold on. That's a good question. One sec. Well, it looks like a boy lamb is called a ram lamb. And that is awesome. That's patently false, and now I doubt everything you just said. <laughs> no, that's real! I guess I'll never know the difference, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with you not knowing. Right, so next, there's Lee. Lee, <laughs> I think is how it's pronounced, which means ceremony, or ritual, propriety, custom, that sort of thing. And like many of these, it's it's not a word-for-word word translation of an object where like, this is Apple in different languages. It's, it's an abstract idea, so it's difficult to translate exactly. But I do know that Confucius stressed the importance of ceremony and ritual propriety. Now, I'm not a big fan because that's traditional, and I see a lot of value in philosophy actually coming from breaking past traditional ways of thinking about things. But... Confucius talked about how rituals and precise gestures can actually be comforting. Hmm. They tell us how to behave in a confusing world. And the intention behind things is very clear. It brings us all onto the same page in a way. Yeah, I find this interesting because not a lot of Western philosophers put weight on ritual or ceremony. Just like you're doing, most Western philosophers tend to reject it because it's limiting. Even, you know, like a Eastern hero in Western culture, Bruce Lee, famously made his own martial arts style, Jeet Kune Do, in response to the limited and impractical nature of traditional Kung Fu, in his view. Like, he took an old system and he revamped it, which is like such an American way of doing Mm -hmm. things. Uh, But in Eastern cultures, Ip Man, his instructor, is still like seen as top-notch awesome, you know? So it's kind of a difference in culture there. Um I mentioned Yoda earlier, and it feels a lot like Star Wars could apply here. Heck, Yoda feels like a modern reimagining of Confucius. Do or do not, there is no try. To answer power with power, the Jedi way is not. In this war, a danger there is of losing who we are. I don't know, in Star Wars and a lot of movies where training is an important part of arriving at a goal, 
You know, the, the characters have to learn the old ways, as it were. Like, there's a certain way of doing things. In Mr. Miyagi's wax on, wax off, you know, there's not really clear what he's trying to get at at first, but... Mm-hmm. You know, like in an anime, a student who wants to become a master swordsman, there's there's always like a way of escalating through training, and it's very like ritualistic. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I see the the rituals being an established kind of thing, and I mean, rituals also remind me of just religions in general, and both of those lend comfort to people. Hmm. And what's actually interesting here, though, is Confucianism is not a religion necessarily <laughs> i mean it's a it's kind of a disputed thing but ever since the first europeans encountered it they were trying to figure out how to classify it because it deals with our world it's not otherworldly or spiritual so someone can be say christian or muslim and also confucian but then there are also some aspects like the mandate of heaven and ancestor worship so these are spiritual but not necessarily. I mean, it's just kind of different extents of how far it's taken. And I guess it kind of depends also on whether you have a strict or broader definition of religion versus, say, way of life versus, say, philosophy. Yeah, it feels like kind of the, you know, occasionally thin lines between spiritual and mystical and philosophical and how much those things all intersect. And yeah, it makes sense that different cultures would have different, I don't know, like, guidelines or boundaries for where they're going to draw that so that's fascinating but overall we're looking at confucianism as a philosophy because that's what we specialize in (laughs) and it's easy to think of western thought as individualistic while eastern is more group centric but as with most simple explanations it misses the nuance and i don't want people to take away that confucius advocated giving up yourself and not having your own personality He didn't say individual desires should be suppressed, but that people's inherent goodness could be refined and cultivated, and that through rituals and propriety, those desires could be reconciled with showing respect for other people and for responsibility and their own roles in society. By nature, men are nearly alike. By practice, they get to be wide apart. You know, this sounds like the ending of uh, Wreck-It Ralph. For those unfamiliar, Wreck-It Ralph takes place in an old arcade where all the old school video game characters can interact with each other and hang out. Ralph is the villain of a game called Fix-It Felix that is pretty much an analog for the old Donkey Kong game with Ralph as Donkey Kong and Felix as the jumpin' little Mario. Ralph is frustrated with his role as the bad guy and longs to be a hero, so he jumps into other games to try to be the hero. But it starts to jack with the video game ecosystem. Long story short, and spoilers for like a, what, eight-year-old movie, but it's by accepting his gifts, abilities, and role as the bad guy that Ralph is truly able to save the day. Ralph didn't want to be a bad guy until he recognized how vital his role was in the video game Natural Order and became happy with his role, with the community also recognizing his value. He simply had to recontextualize the situation. I remember that movie, I think it was Zangief from Street Fighter who says, just because you are a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. (laughs) It's classic. Oh, I love that. It's such a great scene. (laughs) So this stuff may sound like old-fashioned material and traditional in its understanding of morality, but it can serve as a counter to our excessive lifestyle, say. I see that. I see that. That's that's a good point. You know, kind of like how a 
common villain in pop culture is the mad scientist whose desire for progress is what dooms either himself or mankind overall. I mean, most Spider-Man and Batman villains are scientists or men of genius who prioritize progress over tradition, uh, or I guess in the Western view, safety protocols. <laughs> That's our tradition. Uh, <laughs> Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin bemoans this lack of human progress, saying, 40,000 years of evolution and we've barely even tapped the vastness of human potential. All this while his chief scientist is expressing concerns about safety protocols and proper testing methodology. Like Confucius, the inherence to tradition is not to stifle progress, but maybe to make sure that progress is obtained steadily and securely, and entirely without a man in a green suit who throws exploding pumpkin bombs everywhere. It is a bit odd how many of Batman and Spider-Man's villains have doctorates. Is, is genius and madness linked? Have you looked in a mirror? Oh, you think I'm a genius? Let's move right along. <laughs> no. That's the only interpretation I took. <laughs> so, rather than building a systematic philosophy, Kongzi wanted his followers to master deep thought, and he believed that studying would allow people to contextualize the moral problems of their present to the past. Confucius said, The more man meditates upon good thoughts, the better will be his world and the world at large. And a part of Confucianism that's easy to forget is the work one has to do on oneself, the virtues to the self of sincerity and the cultivation of knowledge. Virtuous behavior towards others begins with internal sincere thought. That's like the famous saying about thoughts become words, words become actions, actions become habits, and habits become your character. Or if you want to bring it back to Star Wars, it's the opposite, I guess, of what Yoda was saying about fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side. Ooh, that is good, but why don't you leave the pop culture to me? Yes, yes, my my knowledge is weak in that, <laughs> which, BT dubs, is the fourth virtue on Kung Fuzi's list. Jur, meaning knowledge or wisdom. What do you got for that? Well... Most big thinkers are pro-knowledge, so I don't have a lot here, but he did give another rebuttal to people who think obedience is a bad thing. He said, Virtue without knowledge leaves one susceptible to corruption. So he's fully aware that blind obedience can lead to corruption. We have to have knowledge and wisdom alongside our virtuous behavior. It's like how soldiers must follow orders and must do so even if they disagree, but they also are obligated to disobey illegal orders. Good point. Not a modern reference, but Tom Cruise in the movie A Few Good Men. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, you've got a couple of young Marines following their colonel's orders, but Lieutenant Cruise reveals that it was an illegal and immoral order. And if the young Marines had knowledge, they'd know their actions were not virtuous. You could say that they couldn't handle the truth. You could say that. By the end of the movie, <laughs> they actually understand that what they did was wrong. But uh, yeah, I appreciate your enthusiasm. And that brings us to the final virtue. Shin, or trustworthiness and sincerity. Virtuous action without sincerity is not true righteousness. It's not genuine. And beyond practical reasons, Master Kong thought the superior person should love learning for the sake of learning, 
and righteousness for the sake of righteousness. That's fair. Be good for goodness's sake, not because you'll gain from it. Not to say that you won't gain from it. You know, this brings to mind a song from the absolutely fantastic show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I can't say I've watched that one, but sounds fairly predictable. Right, yeah, which is part of the joke, but you wouldn't know it until you watch the show, which I think ends up making it a bad title overall. Like, it's hard to convince people to watch that show. Anyways, anyways. Yes, where are you going with this? Yeah, so anyways, there's a part in the show where the lead character, Rebecca Bunch, decides she's going to become a good person after a string of moral failures. And she starts insincerely doing a bunch of nice things, which leads to this beautiful music number titled, I'm a Good Person. wrap it up really his bottom line was do not do unto others what you don't want done to yourself that's confucius in a nutshell and we're back to the golden rule i love it when it comes back to a simple idea that proves that these things aren't overly complicated or unattainable or mystical or anything there's a lot of detail when you need it but overall master kong is saying don't be a d-bag What? That's not a quote of his. Perhaps that signifies that he would agree. I am so glad we've learned so much today. And some nature facts as well. I still dispute those. (laughs) Ram lamb. Come on, man. Uh, But no, yeah, this show covers quite a range. You are welcome, audience. (laughs) Thanks for joining and tune in next time when we will have... We haven't prepared that far, so who knows? Nope. Yep, you're asking too much of us, but you'll you'll hear it. All right, love y'all. Catch you later. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse getting a doctorate merely so you can combat costume vigilantes in tights. Heathen does, however, endorse getting a doctorate in philosophy so you can debate superheroes on the existential folly of their heroic deeds and lead them to doubt their moral foundations. Dr. Heathen finds this to be both cruel and fun. Wholesome endorses getting a doctorate that actually helps advance mankind, but hey, I guess it's more important to know terms like epistemological pluralism than to be able to solve devastating illnesses. Tell us what fancy terms you'd use to mildly upset a superhero before they punch you in the face at wholesomeandheathen.com.